Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Hey, this is O'Teal. If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. What's up, everybody? That's Mike. And that is O'Teal. And this is comes a time. And we are back with another great episode. Aren't we, O'Teal? We certainly are. We had director of the Grateful Dead movie long strange trip on the podcast wow i mean amir i knew it was gonna Bar-Lev. be our mere bar yeah sorry i'm leaving his name out but um i knew it was gonna be a good conversation but wow it was just even beyond yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we didn't really talk we talked a little bit about the movie but i think we talked a lot about <laughs> intent and we talked a lot about uh i'm just, yeah th- this was incredible this was yet another one of these talks where it's like, we don't even really have to prepare what we are thinking about saying to our guest. It just goes where it has to go. And that's yeah. what makes this goddamn podcast so fun to do with you. <laughs> it you is. know what I mean? Yeah. He's tuned into that frequency for sure. Because you know, all these things, you just end up talking about what's important about life and it all relates back to the movie and it all relates to everything relates to everything else. That's right. You know, this human condition. And, uh, it was really a, a deeply meaningful, uh, conversation we had. So I think you guys will definitely like it. Yeah. And we even, um, you know, ventured into, uh, hip hop waters a little bit for maybe yes, the first apparently time. I have to dose and listen to this, yes they're my grateful dead of uh hip-hop as well so we had that in common and uh you guys are gonna love this amir's the best thank you so much and we'll have him again back on for sure so enjoy and thanks to osiris for having us here on the pod on the network uh osirispod.com is where you can find all of the great podcasts eric krasno's podcasts um the alive again trey anesthesio podcast uh no simple road beyond the pond it goes on and on there's so many great ones so check them out at osirispod.com and otil patreon.com right comes a time pod come on we're doing some fun shit over there everybody so join us And uh, that would that's at patreon.com forward slash comes a time. Uh, Stay cool, stay safe and uh, see you in the lot, kids. Peace.
there's nothing worse than like you know there's nothing more uh buzz killing than saying like okay guys let's get started yeah <laughs> totally we yeah. were having a nice conversation <laughs> so let's stop that and now we can actually do the interview <laughs> yeah uh, my pandemic my pandemic was you know uh really great you know i mean i know i'm supposed to say now uh, i shouldn't say that but i uh, it was a hard time for everybody um we just surfed the wave you know uh using using uh, things that i learned from the grateful dead and the beats and stuff like that and we just improvised our way through the whole thing and took our kids out to the west coast um for a bit and you know they they uh, zoom. They woke up at four forty-five in the morning and zoomed back to their classes. And I spent time with my parents and my sister right. and her husband, and just got to a lot of trips into the mountains and you know, tripping with friends and stuff. And it was a contemplative good time, and I'm really glad it's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how you know it couldn't have been easy for a musician. I mean, I was deeply worried about music. That was one of the things that I was freaking out about what's going to happen to live music and what about how are musicians holding up? How, how was that for you, OTL? I mean, it was, you know, again, for me, um, I feel guilty too, because it was, uh, I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old and it was just awesome to have that time with it. Just, oh. So it was great. And, but it was very, uh, I was worried for a lot of my friends and then I, I called them, you know, I called people in my immediate realm, uh, cats in my soul, being like, how are you doing? And everybody was doing well, you know? So it kind of put my mind at ease and I was able to like relax and not feel so guilty about that. I was having it really good, but you know, my, I don't, it's a common theme on our show. Like I don't get my first sense of identity as being a musician or someone on the road. I did for so many years. Mm. And now my first identity is Nigel and Cobby's dad, Jess's husband. Right. And so I just, I had time to just like embrace my first identity, like full on. It was great, you know, but yeah. I'm really glad to be back and playing. And, you know, it's, it's hard restarting for me actually. So that's kind of one of the things I wanted to ask you too, like, as it all kicks back in, it's been a little jarring for me. Is how is it for you? Uh, I, I I hear what you're saying. Um, I, I've been really ready for it to be over. Uh, it's hard with the kids in school, and you know, I mean, the Zoom thing was neat for a minute. You know, oh, you know it sucks. I mean, yeah. uh, three and six yeah. are You know, we, four thirty in the morning too. Yeah. Oh my God, it's early. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm ready. And, and and I was saying to Mike, you know, like New York City right now is so I said this to you in an email, Otil, like it's just it's popping right now. There's a vibe yeah. here that feels like the 90s <clears throat> and you know, like it just it, the spontaneous street parties. Dude. Uh, mm, I, I, I bought a, a big sound system in the middle of the the the, uh, the pandemic and was after the seven o'clock cheer, I do a one song. I DJ like a, a DJ set that would have one song per day. And it was sort of telling a story and a whole neighborhood would come out and listen. And, uh, and then, and then, you know, there, then when there were little glimmers of safety or whatever, we, we had like spontaneous street parties. Yeah. That's what New York is really amazing for is, you know, disasters are, are fantastic here. 
Uh, <laughs> this is the place. The blackout. The... Yeah, blackout. Exactly. Sure. <laughs> you know, if you if you like people, you know, um, then being here, surviving a disaster in New York is really special. So that's a that's a very perf- that's a very true and very interesting way of putting it. Like disasters are great here. Like New York is always good at rallying together. During the good times, we're complaining about the dumbest shit. But when things hit the fan, it's like, you can't mess with us. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the, you know what was jarring in the good way was when you guys put your Dead & Co. tour on. Like, like, I mean, that was such a big moment for me. You know, I, it just the, the volume of shows, you know, uh, it may make you nervous or whatever. But <laughs> fans, we, we like it was just it's just something to look forward to that I'm so excited about. I mean, we've all been we've all been without live music. I know we all can agree, and it that's been the hardest part about this. And when I saw that tour online, I freaked out. And I and I it's remained this thing in my mind that every time I listen to dead music, you know, from from any time, instead of feeling like looking back, like oh god, good times lost, I'm thinking about later this summer. That's why I'm just like, I just keep saying to my wife, you know, Jen, like, we are going to get such a big dose of this in, yeah. uh, in a few months or whatever. And I'm so I'm super psyched you guys are doing that. I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, I'll probably be spending more time with my kids because I've taken their whole college education fund and put it into this tour. <laughs> aside from that, <laughs> it's something I really look forward to. Have you been to any, have you been to any live shows yet? Yes. Any live I music? I, I saw. Um, have I been? Wait, who the fuck did I see? Um, I no, I haven't seen any live shows. What I saw was a spontaneous, an amazing DJ here in Prospect Heights uh, played some music, and that's it. And it was, but it was an wow. incredible spontaneous dancing with strangers <laughs> kind of thing. I yeah. have not seen one piece of live music yet. Wow, it's wow, a trip, dude. Yeah. I went to I went to yeah. J Rad and uh and New Haven has this like tennis center that uh is the Westville Music Bowl now. And just seeing pulling into the parking lot, seeing people open their trunks and kind of set up camp and get their little lot scene going for about an hour and I mean just the chills that I got. And then everybody walking into the show together and looking around and kind of if someone bumps into you you're not like, "Hey, get away from me." You're kind of like, "We're back." And you grab them and shake them and, and then the band hit the stage and it was just this collective kind of sigh of relief and the music started and I had I was bawling my eyes out. I'd had my sunglasses on and tears are streaming down my face cuz it's just that feeling we forgot, you know, and it was it dead music too. And it was just perfect, you know, and, and yeah, it's nice. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible feeling. And I'm stoked to be like at a city field or a big old place. When you hear that roar. Oh boy. That's oh God, that was I funny. Really, but... I got chills, man. There's not going <coughs> to be a tire in the place. You know, it's, it's like, the yeah, it's going to be emotional. You guys are doing. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be, yeah. Te- tearful. It's really the thing it's going to be. We played the uh, North Beach band shell in Miami. And, you know, it was like, there was only 300 people allowed into it. You know, it it holds a lot more than that. Mm. But everything had to be spaced out and whatever. And uh, someone told me later, there was like one little table out. You know, it was like a one table lot. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that's so cool. And, And there was a bar behind it. 
And like heads were in the bar for like, you know, five hours before the show. And there was just I was one like, table. I wish I had a picture of that one table. It's like, Shake yeah, down we got a lot going. Shake yeah. down, yeah. Shake down street was the center console of their Shake SUV. <laughs> so funny. But you know, when they did that announce, that's when the jolt started. And because then my phone. You know, that hasn't happened to my phone in quite some time, you know, and my phone just was like, burr, burr, burr. and I was like, oh, it, oh, my God, I forgot, you know, and then I just yeah. kind of had a little anxiety because I'm not used to the Right. The uh, surfing the big wave, yeah. you know, it's been a while <laughs> psychically, you know, it's. You know, it's it's so good, like to be able, like you said, with uh, spending the time with your kids. Like to be able to say like, okay, I can't do that, but I can do this. And then oh, yeah. right, I've done that. Now I'm going to do this. It's, I'd love to try to teach my kids that. And I'd like to, you know, I'm not consistently good at this either, but one of the practices is like just trying to, that's why I sent you that Taoist thing, Otiel. Like yeah, whatever it is, it, it, you know, trying to figure out how to make the most of it. And I do think that the pandemic might've saved us from nuclear Holocaust because it got mm. Trump out. You know, so yeah, it sucked. Uh, it's it continues to suck, but at the same time, who knows what good thing it it actually in the big geologic sense. You know, it, it's like it, who knows what you know value of of good or bad it actually has. I've so, heard a lot of people having, in a good way, reassessed what right. they value from it, mm -hmm. and their time <laughs> seems to have become much more valuable, which is a good thing. It's yeah. a smart thing, you know, and, uh, and it's really nice. I think that's a good, for those that it didn't hammer and leave out under a bridge and maybe the, the change in people's psyche will help us figure out how to fix that too. You know, like letting people fall through the cracks. So I think ultimately long-term big picture, it is going to be a good or big good will come out of it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, well, mental health became a finally like it's in the forefront of the conversation widespread. Doesn't matter. Now you see commercials about mental health, which is finally, you know, important. But also, I think that the people who consciously are tuned to the right frequency are finding each other and realizing who isn't in that frequency. And I think that's something that I'm hearing from friends in comedy, friends in music, friends that I've just connected with from way back that and family and everyone that it's just like, people are really starting to have like a much more uh, high alert bullshit filter. Exactly. They're curating their moments better. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We're not tolerating that garbage anymore, you know? And like, you know, I, I try to like, Hey, you know, try to encourage dialogue and change and whatever, you know, but then past a certain point, I'm just like, I don't have the time. I'll, I'd rather be, with my family or, or, you know, doing something actively to make things better, you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it's, it's given us a heightened, a more heightened awareness, you know, and for some that's kind of torturous. Right. Right. Yeah, you know? totally. So that's where the mental but, health thing is, comes in. You know, where, where you, where you mentioned that, you know, you would listen to the, uh, from what you learned from the dead music and what you learned from the beats. I would like to ask you about that. Is the beatnik culture something that has always been resonant in your, or is, was it from learning about Jerry and going back? No, it was, it was 
probably the other way around. But I know we share this interest in the beats, right, Mike? I know. Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. Huge that. disciple yeah. of Kerouac, and yeah. yeah. So uh, I I was excited to talk to you about it because I mean I'm I'm doing a new project right now uh, that involves the beats. Um, and oh, nice. great. Yeah, I'm really I'm going deeper with the beats now than I ever did, and and um, I'm reading an incredible biography this moment actually about Allen Ginsberg. Mm-hmm. by Barry Miles, which I highly okay. recommend to you. Mm-hmm. And I haven't read it, but he also wrote a Kerouac one. I've only read McNally's Kerouac one. And, um, but he also wrote a Burroughs one. So he has this trilogy, you know, a Burroughs, Ginsburg, Kerouac trilogy of books. And I've made it through uh, Burroughs and now um, into uh, the, the Ginsburg one. But yeah, what I was saying was just the, the uh, ability to... Um, to ramble, you know, to, to, to the comfort with like, uh, um, unplanned, you know, idiosyncratic, weird shit coming down, um, comes from just a, uh, I mean, and, and I, I, I have a lot to learn in that regard. I'm not putting myself out as like, I'd like to be better at that, but I aspire, let's put it that yeah. way. I aspire to, you know, that thing that, you know, I feel like you get a lot from listening to, uh, the grateful to talk about life and music and culture and also the the music itself and the way they listened to each other and responded. And I think they got that, you know, I think from, from in part from the beats and uh, it's so impressive to read it. You know what, what's cool is like, I'm so most of my beat stuff comes from their literature or their poetry, but reading biographies, is kind of interesting because you actually are getting like the nonfiction version of it. So it's like actually these things that he's talking about in Howell actually happen. And to read about it, like in, in kind of a history book kind of modality, it's so cool. Like these guys were so ballsy. I mean, they were so ballsy. Their, their, their willingness to travel, their willingness to hook up with each other, you know, their willingness to take drugs and, and just improvise, you know, and in, yeah. in the fifties, no less. I mean, yeah. you know, now that they created a road that we're all on now, or, and maybe they didn't even create it. Maybe they got it from Bautza or whatever. Or, who jazz knows? musicians. Totally. Well, jazz it is, musicians. It is a yeah. road that life it's yeah. life teaches you that if you wake up to it. Yeah. You know, that, that whole, let your life proceed by its own design. Yeah. You know, like when I met Colonel Bruce, it just, I let my life just veer off and then boom, I just ended up I'm like, okay, this is cool. Yeah. But I had no, like if anybody could have told me, but that is like, you can find it no matter what culture it is, whether it's, you know, as far back as Lao Tzu or jazz musicians. Well, or, and I, you, know, you know, one one of the things that I, I, th- I always thought was so beautiful and simple about Kerouac was he was once asked like, what is beat generation? What does that mean? And he just yeah. said, sympathetic. Yeah. And that was literally a one word definition of what mm-hmm. the entire generate that people would take pilgrimages to go. What does it mean to be a beat? What is it? And all he said was sympathetic. And it's just that vulnerability. And then you break down what does mm-hmm. sympathetic mean? You know, I mean, you're, you're an empath to a fault to the point where you drink your, you know, to you're experiencing yeah. things, you're vulnerable, you're willing Lenny to accept Bruce. failures. Yes, exactly. Right? All of it. Yeah, and, and then, and then you think about the name, the Grateful Dead, and how that is the story of taking care of a unkept corpse, uh, or, you know, the spirit of a of a dead 
soul that couldn't afford a proper burial and you take care of it. And then he finds you on the other end and takes care of you when you need it. It's all that journey. And that's the difficult thing. Cause it's like, it's like, yes, we are our brother's keeper, mm. but what about when our brother is complete numb, <laughs> you know, like it refuses <laughs> to, you know, it's like you, yeah. you have both, you have this, you got to hold both things in your hand. You know, they don't contradict each other and you have to like hold them both. It's, it's hard, man. And that's why you need stuff like, the book of the down, the beats and the grateful dead and jazz and everything you can get in every frequency and flavor to help you like hold those two things together. You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, when you admire people who have come before you for their kind of, for their ability to shed their culture and be improvisational and sympathetic, then you ask yourself, well, how, how, how do I embody that? And, and, you know, there's like the temptation to fly their flag, you know? Yeah. And that's one of the things yeah, yeah. about Zen, you know, it's like, I, I did my thesis on this Zen master Rinzai. And he's like, if you understand, he's the guy who said, if you meet Buddha in the road, kill him, kill him. He's like, <laughs> if you understand what I'm saying, you'll disregard everything I'm saying. You know, I'm just an old man. You should walk away right now. Yeah. And that's one of the interesting things about these guys is like, how do I embody the, the things I admire about them without, you know, kind of just setting up yet another cultural trappings edifice. And I think mm -hmm. that's one of the things that's challenging as a deadhead, you know, because if I have any kind of identity, it's grateful dead identity, but to try to figure out, you know, what are the things that we do that kind of are just same old sort of ego game kind of things that we need to challenge ourselves not to do. I think yeah. Jerry was really good at that. You know, Jerry was really good at sort of poking holes at yeah. that kind of identity bullshit stuff. Yeah. And now yeah. he's gone. And, and uh, I mean, I feel we're in a kind of a renaissance as deadheads that started when, for me anyway, probably for me, uh, I, you know, when dead and co came around. Uh, yeah. I, it, it was a revitalization. And, uh, and I love that you guys are taking the music to the next place, you know, instead of looking backwards, just sort of moving forwards with it. And uh, I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, still be part of this tribe, um, but not be like, you know, tribalistic about it, I guess. You know well, I mean? you know, I think you could say that the deadheads have passed the test with flying colors and they're embracing an acceptance of John Mayer, yeah. who is like literally the polar opposite of Jerry. So Jerry's philosophy won out. It was like, yeah, right. You know, I mean, you don't have to be a certain way. I think yeah. that's why I ended up kind of in this crowd because <clears throat> it just happened. Like deadheads were the only people that got what we were doing really. Yeah. And some other very small groups that's, segments of society you know but the 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 vast majority of them were deadheads and and I didn't really you know I just found myself in the festival scene but I always dug the vibe cuz I could just be myself and I wasn't sticking out and nobody thought I was weird cuz of yeah. whatever criteria I didn't fit into <laughs> you know well and and that's the beautiful thing too from a crowd perspective too Otiel is that like when you're 15 and you go to a concert and you look around a coliseum and you see 
other kids your age or maybe someone that you recognize from school that you weren't friends with, but now you have something in common. Like you're like, oh, we all have this like weird gene that seeks yeah. fun. And it's like gives you the the feeling that like I'm not alone in this. And that's what I loved, mm-hmm. Amir, about the about Long Strange Trip was the throughput, the thesis was fun. Yeah. You know, like that was so relevant and so important to me that, you know, Jerry just decided that he was opting for fun in this life and how it led through each chapter and it all the way to the, to the end. And, and it was just that, that was extremely, it seemed like there were two concurrent themes throughout the whole thing. It was death. Don't have no mercy and fun. And that it was like, you know, fun and death walk side by side throughout, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and it's, I mean, that's, that's life. And that's the life of, yeah. Sympathetic person for sure. Right. Well, I mean, thanks for saying that. I, I, all that was just listening well to, to those guys. And, and, you know, we're, I think says exactly what you said, you know, just like life is, you know, nothing's going to be left. So what is there, but, you know, living in the present moment, you know, fun is like another way of saying living in the present. Yeah. Uh, And then there's the challenge of like, how how do you, like, as when you become a parent, you know, you got to put a, like, stuff over your kids you got to put a roof over your kid's head and how do you how do you you know how do you have fun responsibly and not just just become another yeah i mean i think jerry had trouble being a dad let's say you know so you know it's hard for me it's being an authoritarian totally because <laughs> i'm like the I'm, you know i'm the last guy yeah. be like don't, don't tell me what then. to do you know i'm a, yeah. and it's just like Wow. But I also have to keep them alive. So it's like, you know, I'm barking sometimes because, I, you know, if he's going to run out in the street, I've got to like yell, you know, and I'm like, wow, I can't I can't figure out. It's weird. It's such a weird conflict inside of me. You know, I have the same conflict. And I can tell you that, you know, when your boys are so they're both. Bo- yeah, they're both boys. Right. Yeah. Six-year-old boy and a three-year-old girl. Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. When your <laughs> sorry. Kids, sorry. When your kids are, uh, I love their names, actually, by the way. Thank uh, you. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> when, when they get to be my kids' age, it gets a little bit more complicated, maybe because um, of the stupid internet. You know, so like the social oh, media yeah. thing is really testing for me anyway, because I want my kids to discover the things that I feel like I discovered the fun stuff we're talking about, but the culture right now is just serving them just a freaking heap of bullshit, you know, kind of uh, zombification stuff. And so you want to be like, you know, let the words be yours. I am done with mine. Just, Hey, go free. I'm not telling you what to do, but at the same time, it's like, it's like your kids are doing hard drugs, you know? Mm. And like, well, I mean, okay. I, you know, I could adopt the kind of, uh, on some level, that maybe that's fine. Maybe you can handle it. You know, on another level, like Jesus, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't know whether I need yeah. to be an authoritarian. So it's tough, man, because the internet just like serves them up this sexist, conformist, just yeah. anti-fun, you know, consumerist bullshit, and you don't know what how yeah. to intervene. Well, and, and yeah. also the definition of, uh, you know success or whatever nowadays mm-hmm. is just complete bullshit. Right. You know, I mean, really it's just, you know, you watch the, you see people scroll through just pictures of like, you know, just someone in front of their camera dancing and their sweater changes color and, 
you know, now they're like <laughs> superstars and whatever. And it's like, kids are just going to like, if I can't do that, then, you know, it's terrible. And it, it, it's, it's sad, but I also kind of worry even more about the older generation that didn't grow up with the internet, who now has the internet and believes that everything that they see in their <laughs> channel is the truth. Cause those are some dangerous, those, those people can vote. Yeah. But you know what? <laughs> you know what I mean? But on the other side of the coin, they'll be dead soon. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure hope so. Well, we'll all be dead, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's been, I mean, the dead, uh, yeah, just to bring it back to the Grateful Dead and, you know, this, this is such a source of uh, authenticity or something, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a way that you tap in and then it points you in the direction. I think Jerry called it a signpost, you know, like, it points you in the direction of Allen Ginsberg. It points you in the direction of the Taoists and Walt Whitman. And, and I, I feel very fortunate to have discovered it. And I hope my kids will find their own version of something like this. And yeah. uh, as Jerry says, and I, I've heard you guys talk about McNally's interview with Jerry. That's in the debt, debt, the debt or Jerry on Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find that to be a really interesting one. And I mean, he's, mm. he's it's a little too high at some point. Uh, I don't know if that's in what he released actually, but if you listen to the raw tape, he's just, he's yeah. off the rails at some point. But the moment just before he starts saying that that's used a bit of it in, in a long strange trip where he says like, I'm looking for this thing to live past us, which was mm -hmm. sort of out of character for him to say, you know, we leaned in when we heard that because mm -hmm. it seems to be antithetical to the thing he says about Watts towers. That's right. Um, yeah. I don't want, I don't want a monument. I, you know, I want this thing to just let, I want to live purely in the present and not give a shit about <laughs> anything afterwards. But then in that one interview, he says, you know, I'm looking for this thing to survive us, but he says it might not even be called the grateful dead. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. so he's not talking about a monument. He's just talking about that, that ripple exactly. the spirit through time, you know? And, uh, I feel Dead & Co. has done that, and I don't know. I mean, so many other things. I mean, A Tribe Called Quest did that for me. I mean, so many. Totally. Yeah. It doesn't even have to have the name The Grateful Dead, you know. Well, that's what we talk about. It's yeah. a frequency. It's a frequency, yeah. it's a frequency that you can do it across cultures and everything, you know. Right. I mean, your conversations can be that. You know, like, I mean, really like the right person showing up at the right time in your life can be that. Okay. And it gives you that feeling that like everything that I have been following from the first time I picked up on the road as a teenager wasn't in vain. Like it all led to this point. That's my favorite. Black Peter's like, see how everything leads up to this yeah. day. I love that verse. So I think about that so much because it's so true. Like, and when we talked about in the original, you know, figuring out what this podcast was going to be. Otil said it perfectly. It's like, we want to talk about like how we got here and where do we go from here? Right. Cause that's everyone's journey. And it's so amazing when you have that grateful dead, like, like I agree with you hundred percent. If I have any identity, it's as it's a grateful dead identity. It's not a comic. It's not a, I've had too many jobs to hang my hat on a career, <laughs> but the one thing that's been through the whole time has been the grateful dead. And it's just to have that, and to right away go, I know exactly what you mean. And I know what you're talking about. I wonder if we were just tuned this way from birth. Like some people are, and like, no matter what the circumstance or adversity and the variety of ways that can come, like you end up at this point because you were kind of tuned to that from the beginning. Because when you look back on it, you can trace it through. 
Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem random or accidental at all. It almost seems orchestrated. But if you're tuned a certain way at the beginning, well, then it just makes perfect sense. You're just wading through whatever. And people on that same frequency just are going to find each other. I don't know what it is. I, I just I wonder. I, wonder. I mean, I think it probably has to do with art that you collide with. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, you know, ideas and art that you collide with, I think is, is, is what is, yeah. you know, whether yeah. well, that happened, but see a lot of that happened from my parents. Oh yeah. Like my dad that. was so into jazz and I yeah. heard it in the womb because my mom put the headphones on her stomach when she's That's pregnant. Cool. And so, yeah. Yeah. Maybe like, it's I'm, both <laughs> in my case. <laughs> oh, no. parents that are, that are on the same thing, you know? What, I mean, uh, yeah. you brought up Tribe Called Quest too. Now that's where, you know, hip hop was a thing just like rock music where it was like, yeah, there's certain stuff that I'll listen to if it's on, but there's stuff that I dove head first into like De La Soul and Tribe and Nas and the Jungle Brothers and all like that New York stuff. Like, did you have that like Grateful Dead equivalent in the hip hop world, like is tribe, your grateful dead. And, and, Dela, and Dela, I had that same early nineties hip hop thing. I think we both had. And yeah. just parenthetically, I was going to do a documentary about De La Soul. Um, mm. And then I, we kind of, we, we pulled the plug on it because of the problems that they have with, with uh, their music. You know, there are yeah. so many awesome samples uh, and other complications. They're actually very grateful dead. Like, they sure are because they they they're uh, terrible businessmen on a certain level, you know, <laughs> yes. and very generous musicians, and uh, and they've had to tour because they haven't made a lot of money on their albums for different reasons, you know. The Dead had to tour, but no, I mean, the Dead never made money off their albums uh, for various reasons. One of them being they let everybody tape, and yeah. and and uh, De La never let any uh, never made a lot of money on their albums because they had so many cool rich tapestry of samples um so they've been touring like non-stop um and in europe and, a lot yeah and yeah. um i was gonna do a film but it didn't work out at least for now but um but they're gonna their stuff is getting re-released finally so yeah i'm so excited we want to have them on yeah, you got it i mean they're they're geniuses you know but um yeah. well you know it's so funny too because otil's not big huge into hip-hop at all really right i think that was just a generation that maybe like a genre that passed you by but i t- i try to share hip-hop that i love with O'Teal. and i'm the first thing i said was like de la de la de la de la. i love them so much and the fact that they are out de la soul is dead was to me just like the greatest they had an identity thing where it was just like screw it let's just goof around and be they were all about the fun and and you know all about- that's all about the fun and and the respect of their if you look at the 90s new york hip-hop scene it was very similar to summer of love 60s scene in san francisco where everybody kind of would be on each other's albums and play different things you know and that's the shit that's kind of neat to me you know well balloon mind state is is my favorite album of theirs and and uh i i had an entire psychedelic trip once just listening to it over and over again and I would oh, highly wow. recommend that as a kind of like a dark side of the moon level. <laughs> yeah. Pass. You know, it's, it's an album might that blow is, up, but yeah. it won't go pop. I'll yeah, do that. That's your, that'll be the intro. That I think is, is, is like, like, it's an incredible, and it, like, uh, you know, uh, what's going on or whatever. I mean, it, it, it's an album that doesn't have breaks. It just all strings together. Um, 
and it's extremely theatric long in a way and it's, yeah. it's super deep and what's amazing about it is it's a uh, it's metatonic or whatever like they're singing about the thing that's happening and in some ways how could they even know that it was happening but the hip-hop was changing and and their era of hip-hop was was dying but yet they didn't know because it hadn't happened yet yet they're they're very insightful you know and they wow oh yeah kind of prophetic in that way exactly yeah it reminds me of we're only in it for the money the zappa album where it's like almost (laughs) talking about the scene and it's like caricature like there's little like plays that happen in between the cut there's no pauses it's just one long (laughs) yeah it's really 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 ahead of its time yeah for sure when you when you look back i i and i've been going back through the you know you talk about how you went to the beats and you went to the dead music and stuff during the pandemic i watched long strange trip probably I mean, the first time I saw it was in the, at the IFC theater in the West village with no air conditioning and uh, everyone was crying and hugging. And, you know, like I said, it was just the most incredible experience. But then from there during the pandemic, I mean, easily full start to finish probably 15, 20 times. What? Are you kidding? have to, I mean, dude, when I, I mean, I put it on and just you, go to sleep to it. You've seen it more like with I, my mom. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're, you know, the thing is, though, like, and we were talking about this earlier, O'Teal and I, that like, you're a part of that Grateful Dead. What, what did you, what did, how'd you say it earlier today, O'Teal? It's like an, an ambassador, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's because we're younger than them, you know, but um, we're carrying it forward to another generation that's or generations that are younger than us, you know, and what you do, I mean, when, you know, I remember when I was able to watch it, like right before it came out and we were all on the road. So me and mayor and committee were like, you know, I knew we were all in our hotel room, hotel rooms watching it at the same time. And um, we were texting each other afterwards over just like, man, can you, it just put everything in context, you know, it, it was really, I have to thank you because it was, I'm sure I did back then too, but it's rare to, it's, to have a moment like that, like, because it was such a big thing to have arrived at, at a place where you're playing stadiums. That was the first time in my life, but then to have this whole story told over all these hours. And then when you, close your laptop it's like you're about to go on stage with him (laughs) it was that's just a moment that came together at that time that nobody else would ever will ever have but us three you know and i just i don't even know what the point of what i was going to say about that other than thank you because well i you know it was heavy appreciate both of you guys saying that and and i mean i could say that uh yeah, I mean, I remember that moment, you know. I mean, dead, dead, seeing you guys at that time finishing that film was 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 uh, a huge moment for me too. But yeah, I mean, I the ambassador thing is it's like that's that's a whole thing. Even in the movie, you see that Parrish was deadhead. You know, Donna was deadhead. You know, yeah. I mean, man, great I, point. I do feel like I'm I'm part of a thing that. Oh, many of us are part of, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's the thing that they set up that like, 
I mean, even I think Billy says he was a deadhead, right? I mean, he started, he says he was the first deadhead, right? Which I, I think that's right, right? So it's, it's, that's to their great credit is that they, they created this thing in a, such a way that um, they welcomed people you know, to come in yeah. and, and, and sort of make it their own and then be ambassadors, which is a great word, you know, or, and I mean, you know, um, Dick Latvala, you know, I mean, Dick Latvala, yeah. write them letters. If it weren't for Dick Latvala, you know. Yeah, yeah there'd then, be no Dave, there'd be no, right. I mean, David Lemieux did the same thing. He cold, they all, they both cold let, letter wrote, you know, yeah. and, and got letters back, you know, and, um, you know, so it's, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a tradition of kind of presenting yourself to the Grateful Dead, whatever that is, and saying, hey, I would like to, as Parrish says, help this thing get down the road. Yeah. Just Which help is, it get down the road, you know? And that's where Jerry ended up with, that's what he meant, but I'd like to see it go on. He just wants to see it go down the road, yeah. like stay alive, that spirit, that frequency, that tuning, yeah. whatever that frequency is, you know? It, and, and, and there's an interesting there's an interesting part in the last chapter um i call him chat of, of the last segment yeah. where there's an image of jerry heavy unhealthy you know walk at, at, back at behind a stadium and it's almost like a bird's eye view of him walking and phil goes um <laughs> you know if we took a break jerry probably wouldn't even <clears throat> have taken a break he just went would have went out with jerry band you know, and like there was just something that you hear about even Hunter mentioning when they got in touch with him about doing an intervention. And he's like, this is something that's a core part of his personality. This isn't heroin. This is hot dogs. This is music. This is ice cream. Like he's just an addictive, you know, person and it being addicted to playing and being addicted to the road and that energy, whether it's a hundred people at Sweetwater or RFK stadium, he needed it. And, and, you know, you wonder sometimes about that where, where Phil goes, like, I would have gladly taken a break that time. Right. Yeah. But you, but you wonder if that even would have, I mean, it, it, well, it just it's a seems core like part was... of all of our identity. This right. thing with self-destruction, you know, there's a native American friend of mine named coat that helped save Greg Allman's life. And he said they, in their culture, they have more than just the five senses there was like, I forget, I think there was like eight or nine of them. <clears throat> and one of them was self-destruction. I was like, well, what is that? How is that a sense? Mm. You know, but it was just this acknowledgement of that part of ourselves that will, you know, joyfully almost like romance with self-destruction. Yeah. Get to that line. Where is the line? Where yeah. is the, you know what I mean? Oh, I'm, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm riding the. I don't know. It's like you no, know, I've been there, but not. I have my line just didn't go out that far. Yeah, no. And then you know you, you just throw against it like the notion that if what it's about is sympathy, you know, then then to what degree? Yeah, and 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 to what degree are we our brother's keeper in the sense of like how do you balance giving people the liberty to be self-destructive against having sympathy and caring for them and you know, feeling responsible for them. And that's where, you know, um, the jury is out, right? I mean, we're all, yeah. we're all still experimenting with this uh, kind of libertarian. I have this friend, Carl Hart. He's not a libertarian, but he's, he's uh, been out there um, talking about, like, 
using hard drugs responsibly and just like everybody oh, should I know him. Do everything. You know him? Yeah. I, I, well, I don't know him personally, but I've yeah. seen him talk. He's like, I do heroin. I'm like, yeah. I got it together. I yeah. was like, damn. Yeah. No, he, I mean, he's, he's really interesting, you know, and it, it's black dude with dread, like, yeah. yeah, really intellectual, like an academic, right? Well, he, he, he's uh, at, uh, he's the head of the psychology department at Columbia. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Amazing. Very confident. Kind of, a, you know? kind of an academic. A little bit of yeah. an academic. And when he talks, you know, people say, he dabbles. It's so irresponsible. Like, yes, you, you're capable of dealing with it, but what about, you know, what about our kids? You know, how are they? And that was, you know, it's, I actually told him about Jerry Garcia when I first met him. I, I, he didn't know anything about the Grateful Dead and, uh, or he didn't really know much about psychedelics, actually, you know, and I, I was telling him about that stuff a little bit, you know, and, um, and telling him, oh, you know, Jerry had that kind of same attitude as you. And, uh, and for those of, I mean, you know, obviously I didn't know Jerry personally, but think about what it was like to be his daughter or his best friend or whatever, you know, it, it becomes a tough thing about how much to say, like, you know, uh, stop what you're doing on the one hand, or, okay, this is who you are. This is your destiny, you know, and it's hard the rest yeah. of us. But I mean, I don't, I don't have answers to these things, but I do know that, uh, they're complicated. <laughs> well, he also felt that responsibility towards the whole crowd. Right. Paternal kind of thing. Cause it's the same thing with the crowd. The crowd's like way out of hand. You're like, guys, stop yeah. it. Calm down. Just like you would your kids at home. Yeah. yeah, you're tearing the, you tear the house it. up. You're going you're gonna to fall off that and die, man. Yeah. Like, you know, but then again, like yeah. we're, our whole thing's about freedom. So now that this thing grew up like this huge monster and it's free and it's on the loose, man. It's right. like yeah. a loose yeah. cannon. Yeah. That's just like, I watched fish go through that when, mm. you know, because we were the same age. So that was the only time I like saw it happen from a band go, you know, a band go from smaller to like, Oh shit, people are dying at concerts and stuff, you know? And like, it, it just, I don't, it, it really makes me it, 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 watching that changed how I look at the whole thing, you know, like I'm, I'm just like, all right, you gotta be really aware of this dragon. This thing is a dragon, a live dragon, you know. Well, there's there's that moment when Barlow says that he had a conversation with Jerry and he said, I don't know if Bobby's cut out for this, you know, fame thing. And Jerry goes, None of us are. Who is? I mean, who is like Dolly and Parton just, and like you know who would, yeah, Dolly I, Parton. I bet we could get to five. <laughs> we'd be lucky if we could get yeah. to five people well adjusted. Yeah. From you know, not that she hadn't been through some stuff. I'd love to hear maybe her. Willie Nelson, her, maybe. Yeah. But you know, also yeah. like there's a, book, there's a book, Dark Star, which is the oral biography. And those are the type of books I love to read. There's one of that Jerry one and there's a Farley one. But it's the stories of the people who knew the subject in chronological order. And there were parts of, you know, people Jerry sharing a living in a downstairs apartment, essentially. Oh, yeah, that's Dark stuff. And everybody, and they're worried about him nodding off with a cigarette lit yeah. and burning the house down. Now, how do you go down to the, you know, the Papa Bear and go, hey, you know, is that cigarette out so you don't kill me in my sleep? Like that's a hard. The whole. I room with a guy that did that. Really? <laughs> wake up going. 
Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Like, I'm going to die. <laughs> you know? That's a book that I was just like, man, this is such heavier. Like, you know, you, it, you know, there's stories of like Marmaduke told a story of like Jerry, like chasing the dragon, you know, like, like smoking heroin for the first time or whatever. And it was just all this, like just the stories and the way that like, yeah, how do you, how do you cross that line? You know, like it's those a, it's people, sh- those people like Colonel Bruce that, that sabotage their own fame. Every right. time it's about to happen, that's exactly why. Yeah. It's like, look what it did to this guy. Like, well, it's I don't that sense be that. that you were talking about. Yeah, that Native man, American like, sense. Yeah, no way, no way. And and you can't predict it. But bands just have a chemistry. You know, yeah. the, the Almond Brothers just got together, and this thing happened, and everybody could tell. And they were just like, everybody was like, oh shit, and it just has a life of its own. Yeah, and then you got to ride that dragon. And nobody's trained you how to ride a drag. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back after this. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smartwool. For more than 25 years, Smartwool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They're here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. What's up, everyone? I'm Mike. And I'm O'Teal. And these are our Sunset Lake CBD gummies that are almost gone. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned business that ships CBD products directly from their farm to your door. For years, Sunset Lake was a Vermont dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. In 2018, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. And with a product for everyone, they offer pre-rolls, hemp cigars, and hemp flowers, as well as tinctures, gummies, and CBD crafted coffee to help with stress aches and pains sunset lake cbd saves you money by shipping high quality cbd products directly from their farm to your door want to know what i've been using a lot of oteal this salve with the arnica Uh, on my my old bones you get back from a show and you got tore ankle rub a little bit of this on there you're ready to dance the next day. And you know, S- Sunset Lake uh, comes a time listeners can visit sunsetlakecbd.com and use promo code TIME for 20% off of their purchase. That's sunsetlakecbd.com, promo code TIME. And tell them we sent you. Thanks for listening. Have you, have you guys ever, re- speaking of things to read, uh, Tiger in a Trance? Have you ever mm-hmm. read that? It's it's no. a really great. It's kind of a memoir, but it's kind of but it's not we'll really write it a memoir. Down. It's it's slightly. Uh, it's a lyrics from Santa Circumstance. Yeah, exactly. And it's by a guy named Max Ludington, and he was a dead. He's a little tiny bit earlier deadhead than me. He was a deadhead like in you know on tour with his friends in eighty three, you know eighty two, eighty three, eighty four, and like they got deep into heroin and. Uh, and there's a great scene in there where like they're in the parking lot and, and uh, somebody says like, Jerry's not in like some, some random guy they're talking to says like, Jerry's not into heroin. 
and one of them punches the guy in the stomach, you know, for saying that. I mean, it's dark stuff, you know. Yeah. But it's, uh, he's he's a, a fantastic writer, and um, and it really explores that side of the dead scene that um, you know, uh, was you know, in some ways, everybody knew, especially in the early '80s, that that was coming from Jerry, coming from the band, you know, or particularly Jerry, and so a lot of the fans were, you know living that way and going right um, along with it. Yeah. Thank God. Like he and all his friends, uh, I think every one of his friends made it through and, and they're all still going to shows and everything together. And they're great guys. So this was, so you're saying this was a thing, like a lot of jazz guys did heroin because Charlie Parker did it. Exactly. And they wanted to, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you do set an example, it. whether yeah. you like it or not, man. Exactly. Sure. Whether you yeah. like it or not. Exactly. Yeah. Gary kept saying, you know, like, I'm not, you know, don't, don't follow me. I don't know what I'm doing, but you know, it's, it's, that's the thing about fame is you know, yeah. human nature. But, and also in nature. interviews though, he would go, I think drugs are a personal choice. I think everybody has the right to do, you know, everything should be legal. Like, so he very did. He, he kind of, yeah, he didn't say. He's, and he's right. Yeah. But also <laughs> when you're Jerry, you're, you know, they're, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're hanging on every word. And the words you don't say too, you know. The whole thing is so damn complicated. I so for this new film I'm doing, I was just watching a lot of Terrence McKenna. You guys know who he is. He's yeah, I love Terrence. Great, he's a great writer, but particularly a great talker. You know, he's got that kind of Jerry-like <laughs> voice. You know, and um, hmm. I just stumbled upon something yesterday that was surprising to me. He was talking about how naturally transgressive and anti-culture psychedelics are how they're how that's what they're grateful mm. for is you know blowing up culture and then he said something that really surprised me he goes like that's what i think the people who are interested in legalizing psychedelics don't get <laughs> they don't understand that like you know they'll be robbed of their power he's kind of saying they'll be robbed of their power in a way if the mm. culture at large adopts them as part of its you know <laughs> set of rituals that are okay and everything and i think that's really interesting to think about like you know that maybe certain behavior wants to be an outlaw kind of behavior sure because it kind of revitalizes the culture in some trickstery kind of way you know some coyote yeah. kind of way. and as soon as people say okay you're right we'll put we'll put you in uh clinics and do it you know with eye shades on and you know that's fine the fda approves you know it's like then it's suddenly like, what is it? You know? Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not, I don't have an opinion about this. Yet. I See, I think there's on, on the other side of the coin of that. I yeah. think, well, I don't even know if this is really the other side of the coin. Cause I don't know if it's an opposing thought, but as a parallel thought, cause I usually look at psychedelics as a stage. Like Colonel Bruce would always say, you know, the people that do psychedelics don't need them because they're the ones that are open to doing psychedelics. He was like, right. it's the stick up, you know, it's the, it's the stuck people that need to do it to like, right. just show them. Yeah. There's a lot more corners in your mind. Right. right. You know, so I, and he never did them. So I think um, for me, they're great as a stage for like people that just can't believe or understand. They're just so damn left brain or so, uh, objective and can't really make sense of subjective things 
that's like, okay, well try this. <laughs> Do you see now, <laughs> you know, yeah. and then maybe it could just be a stage where it won't like take its power away, but then maybe we'll finally have freaking peace and love on the planet. I would love for that. If, if that were the end result, I would give up like whatever else, like to just like settle shit down and make people more nice. You yeah. know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't I think know. that, I think my, like, uh, what they do for me is they help me kind of uh, remember that there's a, another way to, to um, react right. to the people who are those ones you're talking about, Oteal, those left brain, those ones that are, that need it, but will never do it. Um, it helps me remember that like, you know, you can sometimes empathy and sympathy, uh, you know, a lot of these really fucked up people, and by that, I mean these hateful, leading with ego all the time people, they deserve a lot of empathy and a lot of pity because they're fucking lost, you know? And that's what and I, I think psychedelics helped me with quite a yeah. bit is that, you know, instead of going, you know, fuck this asshole, I don't want it. it makes me kind of go like that person needs to hear that I love them. And maybe that'll, you know, help dissolve their shit a little bit and make them go like, wow, you know? And I like, think that has the most agency of all. Like to me, psychedelics r reminded me, I already knew it, but it reminded me that love is the strongest thing. The most magical it has the most agency is the most miraculous. Right. So then you're just back to the regular thing. Like if you could just love people, that would probably open their hearts and change their minds more than psychedelics. Even <laughs> they might just get really confused, mm. you know? I think that's interesting what you say <laughs> though, Amir, because it, it is a weird, like if it's just now in a orange bottle that you could pick up at CVS with your Lipitor and your, right. you know, thyroid medicine, like, is it what it was? I don't know. We're going to find out. Maybe we're fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think we're so, man. <laughs> well, I'm not waiting. <laughs> and no, no, me neither. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying is so, so true, O'Teal. And I think that, you know, we're in a moment. I don't want to wade into two political waters or anything, but I, I, I feel like a lot of the people whose politics I share have, have gotten so strident, you know, uh, and, and they would look at our conversation and say, these are just privileged people doing drugs and navel gazing and love, you know, what, what about <laughs> anger? You know, what about like social justice? And oh, I got I anger. Like, I, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I have anger too. And, but I, yeah. I think anger and love can actually coexist, you know, social That's fun and death, <laughs> anger and love, exist, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not about sort of accepting everything as it is uh, by no any way. No Absolutely way. not. But at the same time, like there's this, there's this unwillingness to sort of acknowledge the humanity of the people who you disagree with. Yes. That is worrisome for me, you know, and I don't quite get it. And I, and then, you know, I can hear it's that tribalism. Thing. It's yeah. tribalism, man. Right. They don't want to be, see how they're the same. Cause I'm, I'm more pissed off at the left than the right. Me too. I expect them to be dumbasses. Right. They've been <laughs> this way since they were Democrats. Right. We've always known they're this way. It was founded this way. So now let's deal with what pisses me off is the status quo. Mm. So now it's my side that supposedly, although I don't have a tribal side, that they're supposed to be on my side. They'd say they're on my side. 
they want me to keep voting for him. And I do like a dumbass, but you know, so I mean, not to wade into political yeah, waters, but I'm just I saying, you know, I think like, we're in political waters, guys. Stop well, waiting. We're not, you know, we have to be willing to, and that's what I love about this podcast and about its connection to the Grateful Dead that, you know, yes, it seems like we had you on to talk about this band. And like that, we're in the human condition. Right. We're in spirituality. We're in religion. We're in politics. We're in art. We're in science. We're in everything. You know, raising kids. We're in, you know, dealing with a crowd, you know, and popularity and all that. You know, this is our human things. Yeah. You know, we can't avoid these things. We shouldn't be. We but shouldn't. You know this, like, you know status quo stuff that's killing the planet ecologically, our economic system is fucked, our political system is fucked, our religious systems are fucked, like, our family systems are fucked, our criminal justice systems are, I'm like, when are we going to get <laughs> yeah, no. angry and, like, you know, we need more, I think. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hear you, and, and I agree with you. And But I would just say uh, the reason why you guys, your podcast, meanders in this you know stimulating way is simple you're both good listeners and you know that that uh, the art of conversation you know is something that is in dire you know is is lacking these days because people are so used to sort of hearing themselves talk mm -hmm. you know and so and and, be, and because of the internet and because of the kind of the way the culture has gone uh in this narcissistic kind of direction conversations become the sort of ping pong match you know okay now it's my turn now it's your turn now it's my turn and it's like that's that's why because you know you're listening to people i i i love your podcast because you sit and listen to people and then we react to each other which is how the grateful dead played music parenthetically and so if you're just kind of waiting for your turn to solo you know it doesn't <laughs> work as well yeah and i think the listening thing is like another thing that's connected to the to the dead and uh and something that, you know, as a parent or whatever, I, I'm trying to inculcate my kids with because it's sorely lacking in culture. You know? Oh, God, yeah. You know, I was, talk I was talking with another uh, comic the other day at the cellar, and we were talking about Bob Dylan, and he's a huge Bob Dylan fan. And he, he's someone who you can tell, like, right away that he pays attention to lyrics, he pays attention to intent. And he made a great point. I've always said about the Grateful Dead, the thing I've learned for a comedy standpoint is that no show, no two shows ever have to be the same. And he said the same thing about Dylan, because there would be these times where Dylan would go on stage and play in halftime or change the lyrics or throw one lyric at, at the end that used to be at the beginning and all these other, you know, and, and like you said about listening and about learning, I, I, I not to prove you're right, but I think that what's important is that like, O'Teal and I take every episode and have a conversation afterwards about like how it has helped us or how it's reinforced. So it's not us getting the people today. We just talked about how like, yeah, sure. We could go after these like whales of people that will get us clicks and whatever. We'd much rather have conversations with a guy who has stage four cancer and is listening to the podcast because it's helping him sleep at night or you know, like a criminal, um, uh, a, uh, an attorney that's civil rights attorney. Like these aren't yeah. like, we don't, we want it to be a thing where like the reason why we're doing this is so we can like learn more about how to friggin' survive. Right. 
yeah, you know, and help I mean, each the, other, help each other, and 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 to have you on, yeah. and and to the fact that you took such a, I mean, a, a, a mammoth, man, <laughs> you looked at sweet. a mountain, you looked at a mountain, and you said, "How can I fill an hourglass with this <laughs> soil?" You know what I mean? Like how you could have taken that in any direction, you could have went, but you know, from so many different perspectives. But, you know, the, it seemed like you you grabbed a perfect amount of all the ingredients, whether it was, you know, talking to, uh, you know, Parrish about who's in charge. Sometimes the carburetor's in charge. Moves. Sometimes, the, you know, <laughs> and, and then having like like the, the, that Bobby and Natasha going through that old footage and that leading to that yeah. footage from Europe. And all of that yeah. amazing stuff. I mean, like, well, you, thanks, man. You, you I, know, took- I, I know, uh, you know, so I appreciate you saying that, Mike. And, you know, I know some people who know the story um, as well as probably most of your listeners do have, you know, they, they see sort of glaring oversights in, 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 uh, yeah. in the storytelling. And I, I'm very aware of that. And I think it actually connects back to Bob to that Bob Dylan concert thing in a funny way. There's, there's so there's there's something di- there's a difference between history and storytelling, and I mm-hmm. saw my job as telling a story, which is just mm-hmm. a, a, a carving my way th- down the mountain one particular way, not telling yeah. the whole mountain. And I I did see the job as trying to be kind of an ambassador to non deadheads in the future, yeah. or, um, and not and I knew full well that as a deadhead myself, I knew full well like oh shit, I I would love to talk more about Brent, for instance. Uh, but the problem yeah. is at that moment in the story, you know, you're focused completely on Jerry's health and stuff like that, for, for instance. Right. So, yeah, yeah. you know, if you you know, if you're telling a story at a dinner table, you know, when you get to like the crucial moment, you don't say parenthetically, there was a, there was a new. Key. <laughs> now, let me tell you a little bit about him. He was, you know, you do so much of that because you're carving your way down a mountain and you have to try to make it work as a story that people are going to. Right. That has certain, you know, there has to be kind of a, a hero's journey kind of aspect to it, which absolutely, in some ways, you could say is at odds with reality. You know, that's that's a myth, right? You know, but myth there that that is what. It, and I would say, you know, I'll just divulge that I love Bob Dylan, but when I saw him in concert kind of recently, uh, I doubled down on my love for the Grateful Dead and appreciated the Grateful Dead because they. I can see why any musician would want to play everything different every night to keep themselves interested and why any stand-up comic would do the same thing if they're versatile enough. But um, what the dead did, um, what you, you guys do is you, you change it up, but in such a way that you're taking the, the listener along with you to show you like, okay, I know, you know, the way we did it before, but here's a variation on that, you know, and it, it involved somehow I felt like I was being left out of, a joke or something when I saw Dylan, you know, like, and I, I uh, it may just be that I'm not as hardcore a fan as others, but I just felt like uh, there was a conversation. I think my wife said that there's a conversation going on that we're not a part of here. And it is a conversation yeah. deeply steeped in all the many other ways that he used to play it. And now he's changing it up and doing it halftime and stuff like that. The Grateful Dead somehow were able to do that, but in a way that was that, included anybody even if it was your first show and mm. then you go you're the same yeah. that way and i don't know somehow dylan so so again that's what i was trying to do with long strange trip was be a little inclusive um and then you know 
Also, by the way, since you saw it so many times, in fact, you win the prize, Mike. <laughs> well, but when you, I also put in things for seeing it multiple times, you know, yes, so that, yes. that was the thing that I, that we did was like, if you see it the first time, you're going to be focused on it in this accessible kind of way, but there's multiple layers that are like almost like, you know, uh, it, it ties back. You do so much like Steve Silverman's talking about that mandala. And then yeah. you, you're able to almost kind of like you use that as a way right. to structure. This is the fill zone. Right. This is where, you know, the spinners go like, this is like, you know, the, the hallway spinners got their piece. But then in the last chapter, when Jerry's in his coma, you almost kind of, you, you, yeah. you somehow do this teleportation type Take thing off. where it everything. Yeah. It's everything at once. Yeah. And it's like, you're seeing Ken Babs do a shot of LSD. You're seeing a, someone dancing, you know, to the thunder machine. And then you see pig and then you see Brent and then yeah. you see, and it's all just this, but it's in a weird muffled kind of, if anybody's ever fainted, they know that that's what it sounds like. And it's kind of, you, you somehow nailed what a nitrous balloon I was feels say, like. I somehow. You, know, I, you take the words out of my mouth. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, you, you know the film better than I do now, Mike. So, congrats, so. thank you. But, but yeah, no, we try. Send to- me all your work. I'll, I'll watch it 30 times. <laughs> that's kind of you. It, it's a sample film too, by the way. It's 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 actually it comes to mind balloon mind state again the Dela album they, they they limit themselves to a certain amount of tools and so that you know they start self referential kind of stuff yes. as you get into the album yes so that you know you know well okay if we're reaching for a point let's reach to uh, the acid test footage or let's reach uh, to Frankenstein or whatever because you're already in a conversation with people and it's the sort of the logic of sampling you know it's just like okay we mm-hmm. all know. What because it's not this hip hop was never the same after sampling got outlawed that way because right. making that same song making us that same sound uh, at that moment is not the same as referring back to something that's in our cultural collage, mm. you know, and that's yeah. what a long movie can be too. It's like okay, everybody knows what Frankenstein means, so I'm going to play with it now, you know, and that's uh, I learned that from Dela. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I think you just revealed the solution to one of my old ancient biases against sampling and all of that, which is that I, I've, as an instrumentalist, you know, born in the 60s, it felt like they were stealing you and going to replace you. And what they were really doing was archiving the culture. Oh, God. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Dude, that's the way that ripple yeah. works. I learned so works. much yeah. about funk. I learned, I learned oh. about funk from Dela. Yeah, no, that's I mean, 100%. So people are like that. Learn yeah. about jazz, learn about, you know, P-Funk. And, you know, I mean, it's it's a different kind of a ripple. And, yeah, there are some interesting, tough questions about um, remuneration, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I don't think it was yeah. ever about, uh, you know, replacing. I can see how you would feel that way, but, like. Uh, well, we were just scared. We were like, oh, my God, they can. <laughs> they could just take what I played and then cut it up and they don't need me anymore. And and now they're going to do that live. And are we ever going to have jobs? You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Still. Yeah. Well, fortunately people still do like to watch someone come and play an instrument, you know? So Hell yeah. I guess we're, it didn't. And, uh, but I think it, it probably was also my trajectory was to go back farther and further. I was like getting more and deeper into folk music, Delta blues and bluegrass and stuff. And that's what's my path while the nineties hip hop thing was taken off. I was like, you know, on another path, but it's, 
it's really cool. And I, I'm, uh, I'm excited to like get into it more, you know? I mean, I, I think hip hop falls in that lexicon of like, you know, we talk about like the, Amer the threat of American music. Right. And it's like mm -hmm. jazz and bluegrass and, and hip hop is an American. It's music folk music. It's of, folk music yeah, coming out of the hood. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's poetry. <laughs> you know? It's, it's captures the time and, it rhythm, captures, you know, that man, old Bronx is burning era and all of it. It's just like, that's one interesting thing I'm here too about New York where like, this is a great place for tragedy. Watch the music that's going to come out of New York now, post pandemic. And yeah, you know, good, like man. now that people can maybe afford an apartment yeah. and I all the good. art, the yeah. comedy, the I dance, everything comedy seems to be in a really strong place right now. And I don't know, maybe I'm just like, you know, maybe the darkness is from my eye. Maybe the darkness from my eyes or something. I, I get so worried about culture, man. I hope you're right about yeah. music and stuff. I, I hope I so too, know, man. When I, when it I will. Do, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, no well i mean look at my own life you know we thought we were we were just put out of business far from it i mean my gosh you know i mean hip-hop cats started using live musicians and jazz guys i mean my buddy kebby williams plays with outcasts I mean, when he disappeared, I, I think he moved to Cuba or something. And we saw him again by Jason said, hey, I saw him on the Grammys with Outkast. I was like, all right, well, he's alive. He's back. You know, so and this <laughs> yeah. dude is like, you know, like, so no, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be OK if we don't yeah, yeah. if we don't obliterate ourselves with yeah, a pandemic, right. a, a created, you know, <laughs> virus or something right. <laughs> or a nuclear catastrophe. Man, I'm so happy to hear that you're working on something about Ginsburg and the beats and all yeah. that, because it's just such a, like, it's such an important, you know, we had Ken Babs on, and I don't know if you heard that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That but was, one of the most, yeah. one of the most painful things to hear about was that he's having trouble finding a publisher for these memoirs in this book. And it's like, what an unbelievably important piece <laughs> yeah. of American history. And you think about the shit that gets, you know you know that that, that yeah. gets viral and whatever other and it's like here's this guy pouring his yeah. like it, yeah. it, i don't know like so the beats are something that i don't think they can't be forgotten they 100 percent cannot be forgotten and, and i don't know man I, I yeah okay i'm now circling back to my dour look on culture or whatever but i mean this stuff um, will find its time i mean the merry pranksters for instance you know they're not made for this time. The, the idea of, of, of pranksterism is so at odds with the sanctimonious moment we're in. You know, you could see how people are even, I mean, the, you know, the, the merry pranksters, I think Babs invented this. Maybe it was Keezy. You know, the whole thing, never trust a prankster. Never trust a prankster. That is such a <laughs> radical idea. That's such an yeah. outlaw idea. And if you think about our culture, our deadhead culture, comes from the band, which was the house band for this thing that happened. And their motto wasn't, you know, we're all one or live in harmony with the earth or any of the things that, you know, it was never trust a prankster. So I'm not totally surprised that Babs is having trouble, you know, getting his life story out there. It's, it's sad and, and know that someday people will understand that. But right now, this moment yeah. we're in, just the prankster thing is, is, yeah. is, is in danger. You know, we got to like fan that fame and bring it back. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 
Well, Zane's got a bus and we got a, you know, there's a, a new book that's out, but um, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a, or a new documentary, I think that's out, that's coming out about the, the new buses trip, oh, yeah. but you're right. But I do think that sympathetic beat, the thing I loved so much about Kerouac is that I identified so much with him, that he was a football player. He was a writer. He chased women around and drank and probably spilled his guts too much when he talked to girls at bars about his dreams of, you know, peace and love and whatever, and probably scared most of them away. But then he was able to go home and write about it. And and I was like, oh, cool. Like, I'm not the only one that does that weird stuff. You know what I mean? Like, he was like a tough guy, but also like a complete softy on the inside. And, and I love that. I'm going to wade back into dangerous, controversial waters for a minute because something you just said. Uh, I got, uh, I'm going to say this in a respectful kind of way. I got an email from somebody, a deadhead, um, who, you know, um, wanted me to come get behind that kind of a movement that he wants to start. It comes from a good place. And I want to say, you know, he's bummed out about sexism and doesn't want his kids to be misogynist and i totally get that he wanted he thinks that the dead you guys he really dead talking about you O'Teal. he thinks that you guys should change all the lyrics you know um because yeah that's we can I, share the women we should share the one that was exactly that was exactly the lyric that he and we I did that him, on kimmel and i was like really we're gonna lead with that one huh okay but, but what i said to him is you're not supposed to agree with those dudes. They're murderers. You yeah. know, I mean, that, that, the that song is about a character. Yeah. Women, we can show the wine is not meant to be celebrated. It's not. It, the, what's beautiful about the Grateful Dead music is it ranges around. It creates sympathy by going into the brains of people who are different, including murderers, rapists, sexists. You know, I mean, Candyman, uh, Jack Straw, you know, Loser. These aren't people who are all saying <laughs> we're supposed to be acting like. You know what I mean? I left his dead ass there by the side of the road. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't think this guy understood that. And I said, yeah. like, you got to understand that, man. That's what the dead is all about is, is sympathy. You know, I didn't use that word, but like the, the notion of uh, psychedelically moving into different perspectives even and it's easy to go into perspective like your own is a lot harder to go into a yeah. perspective like loser like you know yeah these people like jack straw i mean but we're mm. not saying that we condone that and it's just you there's a difference between art and didacticism and art is not moralistic that way and, yeah. um, yes so i think you know kerouac's shortcomings qualcomm's shortcomings whatever his craziness and that that's not a thing that we should be uh afraid of you know what i mean like yeah, right. those are, we're all human beings and those people were short you know uh flawed just like jerry and anybody Absolutely. else you know? yeah so and we're and all person, cans and the person casting that stone let's yeah, put your yeah. let's tell me your secret Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if the but man like you among say, you got no sin upon his hand. Yeah, right. What about that lyric? Yeah. Exactly. So it's like, but it reminds me of what you said before about, you know, getting down to the bottom of the mountain and telling the story. It's just like that with religions. It's like, look, man, quit like trying to 
nitpick this as a historical thing. There's a story being told as a point of the story. There's a, and all this messed up stuff that's happening in it, like man. Jack Straw and Loser, that's because that's the human condition, man. Exactly. If you want to tell this story, you got to yeah. put all that muck and right. fucked up shit in it. And sorry, that's yeah. us. And so exactly. we don't do it again. <laughs> you know, it's exactly. so true, man. It's and so you want to edit true. it out, and that's what's gonna we're supposed to learn from and keep from doing it again. <laughs> it's like yeah. so I feel you. I'm I'm with you. Yeah. I just Please don't, don't want to despair. <laughs> Please don't change any of the lyrics. We can handle it. No, no, and then just <laughs> I mean honestly. No, uh, uh he he actually sent me suggested changes. I don't know why he thought I guess oh, thought I could yeah. tell OTL right now, but he told me that uh, not fade away. I mean, he said not fade away. Uh, I tried to show you, but it drive me back. And I got so pissed off because I said, like, man, that song is about love, and you think it's about rape? Like, you know, on some level, he tried to show her, and she drove him back. She didn't want him to. It's a Buddy Holly song. Whatever, but that's not a woman can handle that. You know what I mean? A woman can handle that. <laughs> You, they're not snowflakes, you know. They can it's handled handle. much worse than English exactly. words. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. not like I, I forced you to see it or whatever. Uh, but anyway, boy. that's like a, the very yeah. most simplistic way of thinking about that song, you know. And I said, come on, yeah. you're a deadhead. When you guys were clapping the Not Fade Away cheer to the band and they were going, is that what you thought it was about, rape? Like, come on, you know better yeah. than that. Jesus. Anyway. <laughs> There's some crazy shit going on right now. We are in trouble. Never mind. (laughs) I changed my mind. We are in trouble. We're doomed. I don't mean to bring you down. Dose everyone. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I know. Who knows anymore? Or not. Or don't. Yeah. Well, please don't change. I know you're not kidding. Oh God! <laughs> We're trying just play to, the women are smarter the whole up. time. Just play. Yeah, right. yeah. First set, women are smarter. Two Second set, set women are smarter. Reprise. Hey, can, you tell us, uh, can you drop any hints about? I mean, anything? Uh, I don't know if you. <laughs> you guys are practicing like that. Uh, what are you practicing? <laughs> I already tried. God like, uh, damn it! It's like I, I know everybody. It's like, like that's what I said. Whatever like, you play my, is going to be great. So when the excited. phone started, you know, like right, when we right. announced, it was like, hey, can you get them to play? Hey, do you think you can speed it up? Hey, do you think you can bubble? And I'm just like, ah. No, no but it's, um, we're just taking it a day at a time. Okay. So some things are happening that I didn't expect would happen. I was like, well, cool. All right. We may get away with that. And then yeah. some other, you know, like, I, I don't know. We're just... We're just trying to get. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the old car. You got to go. And I'm I'm saying that uh, for myself as well. Yeah. I'm not saying this about the older original members. Like I'm having a time, like cranking up, you know. So, but it's well, that fun. was what it's was cool. Really that was fun. What was, that was what was really cool to hear Billy say when when he was on, and we heard him talking about like playing in on the beach in Hawaii. He goes, it's just yeah. amazing to get behind the drums. And if I drop a stick, I drop a stick. If I play too fast, you know, like yeah. it's cool. The forgive the self forgiveness of the, uh, you know, like we'll figure it out and it'll yeah. be, there will be mistakes. And, but that's why we're there. That's why we love it. It's, it's baked into the cake. I don't want it. Like, perfect. If, if we try to not do anything different or new, yeah. it'll still just happen. It's happen. baked in. So you can pretty much count on it. Even if, we don't mean to. 
I want to send you, I'll take pictures of these and show you, but these are a couple of my favorite books. The, the outlaw Bible of American literature oh, cool. is, is, is an incredible, uh, oh, it's got a lot of great, a, a lot of great beatnik, uh, stuff. And I'm writing it down. I mean, just some of Neil's writing, Sonny Barger stuff, like a lot of really Sonny Barger. Yeah. He's a yeah, character. Bur- tons of Burroughs, tons of Leary. And then the beat book. I don't know if you've seen this one yet. I haven't. That's an incredible uh, writing from the Beat Generation. Um, this book, this Kerouac is really awesome. Uh, Good Blonde and others. It's like it. just a collection of Kerouacs, like shorter, like vignettes. Um, really just letters that he wrote to Ginsburg and some other. Um, oh, yeah, I love the letters, man. That's that's what we're basing yeah. this on. And then this is awesome. Nice. Windblown World, the, the journals. Know. This is the journals of Kerouac from 47 to 54. So it's like all of his personal notebooks and journals and stuff. And we'll share all that on the, on the Patreon too. But for anyone that's, I mean, it's, that's the stuff that I just love. So I wish there was more audible Kerouac. I wish that there was more that you can hear him. I I have a, a thing of like him, Tom Waits playing, behind his reading of like Mexico city blues and some of the other poems he wrote. And Tristessa is probably my favorite Kerouac Hmm. story ever. I don't know if you've ever read that one. Um, Is there any video of him like on YouTube or something? Yeah. There's some, it's kind of interesting. Some of the Kerouac that I've seen, I mean, he's on um, Steve Allen show reading a a tiny piece of Kerouac, uh, a tiny piece of on the road and Steve Allen's doing his, you know, cool <laughs> piano with his left hand. And, you know, he's like, and he asked Kerouac, like, how long, how long did it take you to write this book? And he's like, uh, three weeks. And he's like, how long were you on the road? Seven years. And he's like, one time I was on the road for three weeks. It took me seven years to write about it. <laughs> but there's also this, but, but, but then there's also this very interesting when he's on, did you ever see the one on here when he's on with William F. Buckley? Yeah, that's sad. Ooh. Yeah, that hippie saying like, I mean, because, yeah, the, the late years of Kerouac, when he started getting more famous and he started getting more alcoholic and more right wing. And living with his mother. And with his crazy anti-Semitic, you know, anti-communist. Really? He went right wing? and <laughs> He went, he just became a complete, by the time, Otiel, by the time On the Road became, yeah. people oh. were finding him and showing up on his lawn, like, teach me how to go on the road. Like, he was like. It's too late. It's over. It, like, get that, off that my shit's lawn. Done. Get off my lawn, <laughs> you dumb hippies. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. But he was just a, you could tell he was just, I mean, alcohol destroyed him. But see, Absolutely there you go. That's the, that's the thing. You know, it's like, again, <laughs> yeah. you gotta, you gotta zoom out and look at the lessons of all this. He was right before and you know, the alcohol just, there's something yeah. that we got to learn. Yes. Freedom is great. You know, fun is great, but we have to, you know, we got to watch where it leads and how it can get out of control, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you said, you know, like your parents had certain values. I think his didn't. Mm. Allen Ginsberg's parents uh, had really great values in in some ways, you know, and so he he had that longevity. And uh, I mean, obviously lots of different factors, but I mean... I am bowled over here in terms of show and tell. I brought this. This is that book I was re- referencing before. Alan Ginsburg, Beat Poet by Barry Miles. 
So this book, you can I have to check that out. The, the insane degree of partying these guys are doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm always like, blown away. I am blown away. Staying awake for days on oh Benzedrine. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I don't know why some people can handle it and some can't, you know, but Allen Ginsberg apparently could handle it. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting that the William Burroughs stuff with, uh, you know, William Burroughs was into ayahuasca in 1953. Okay. He didn't even call it ayahuasca. He called it Yahe. And he went, I mean, the, the letter writing between him and, and uh, Allen Ginsberg around trying to find what he thought would be the ultimate kick or the ultimate fix or something. Right. So like Burroughs saw it as like the best hair, probably it's going to be like the very best kind of drug kick ever. And it was not, it was not that. It was something. Different. It was the complete opposite. <laughs> it was the complete opposite. Kind of scared the shit out of those guys in some ways, you know. And and Allen Ginsberg was able to keep up and keep doing psychedelics and stuff. But Burroughs hated them. Burroughs hated psychedelics. And I mean, it's a long story, but it's all in these Barry Miles books, and I'm I'm just loving them, you know. Like I'm dying to check that out. I'm got, glad that we did a little yeah. book book club here. Yeah. Book Heck club. yeah. Comes yeah. in time book club. That's our first Come one. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't would never want to have it with anyone other than Amir. This is so exciting. Well, thank you guys, I so appreciate you inviting me to this. I appreciate what you guys are doing with this podcast and looking forward to seeing you guys later in the summer. And I'm supposed to say one little plug. I'm supposed to say that just about two days ago, long strange trip, um, the rights and stuff were worked out and, uh, theatrical distributor um uh, that had it before is going to re-release it in theaters it's as you said very timely mike it's very fun to see it you know in that context with other heads and um so i think i actually just talked to him this morning um they're going to try to like follow you guys around on dead and go and, and have screenings sweet um, on your, so I can go to one. I don't know what they're going to do, but you know, I mean, um, so if, if you're hearing this and you want to see that, uh, film in theaters, what you got to do is call your local cinema because, uh, they respond to that these days and just say, I'd like to see long strange trip. And meanwhile, these guys are out there, the distributors out there, uh, calling up all these cinemas and stuff. So if they hear it from both sides, then they'll do a show event kind of thing. And we have, and we can all meet and, and watch it. Um, and it's different than, you know, as you probably know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's really meant to be seen in sort of two chunks or even yes. one chunk, not six chunks, um, which yeah. we did for prime. So, and I'm yeah. told it's a kind of a different experience because it seems a little bit darker when you see it on prime. Cause there's a lot of drone and dark, you know, <sighs> but actually when you see it all in one big thing with heads and stuff, it's not as depressing. I think <laughs> it's not depressing. I just having a visual, I'm having a memory of a woman who sat, who, who set up camp next to me in the IFC theater <laughs> and she took off her, she took off her sandals and she took off her socks and she <laughs> threw them in the air and sat next to me. And awesome. she's like, I need an aisle seat. And anytime any music came on, she'd jump up in the aisle oh, and yeah. start twirling. <laughs> and man, it was a trip. It was oh, so cool. funny. Yeah. Hot ass theater with no air conditioning in the West Village and perfect way to see a dead movie for sure. Well, we got a lot of heads where I live in South Florida, so we will start making that call because I know the Hell theaters yeah. need. We'll use that, that money. as a trailer for this episode for sure. We'll use this that piece as a teaser for sure, okay, cool. so we can Thanks. share it. I appreciate that. Thank man. you so much Great for joining us, you man. You're amazing. No, you guys are. I so appreciate it, and I really meant what I said about you know just enjoying what great 
conversationalists you are on your podcast. So thanks for all the episodes that came before this one. And um, I'll, I'll look forward to listening and seeing you both in summer. Thank you, brother. Thank See you. you soon. All right. Thanks again. Peace. Bye. it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football fantasypoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points fantasypoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play whether you play fantasy football daily fantasy sports or do a little bit of everything fantasy points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.